0: You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update.
1: Hello and welcome to our weekly AIB Market Update on Tuesday the 11th of February. I'm Paul Ward from our Customer Treasury Unit and I'm joined this week by AIB's Senior Economist John Faddy to discuss the markets. In addition, I want to welcome Paolo Sullivan, Head of Real Estate Research in AIB, who will discuss the latest release of AIB's Irish Housing Market Bulletin. John... Our latest weekly market brief, which is available on the FX Centre website, is entitled The Jury Is Out. I assume this title is making reference to the performance of the global economy since the start of 2020. Can you just give us your thoughts on the global economic activity at present
2: yeah it is indeed paul so when we look at the data for the uh, first month of the year, so we've had a good batch of server data out already now uh, and it does suggest some good news from a global economic perspective so think back to the past 18 months it has tended to be more uh, negative than positive we've seen it uh, feed through then into actual uh, hard growth numbers where the global economy has slowed uh, compared to two years ago of close to four percent to growth uh, closer to three uh, percent more recently uh, but in january in terms of survey data uh, we've seen some encouraging signs specifically if you look at uh, one of the key global indicators the global manufacturing and services pmi and the global composite pmi uh, they suggest that uh, 2020 the start has seen a firmer footing Uh, to global economic growth and it's important because one thing we were keeping an eye on last year was we'd seen weakness in the manufacturing side of things in terms of survey data linked to global trade tensions and weaker global trade specifically and regulation specific stuff in terms of what's happening in Germany around car production and all that So global manufacturing was very weak last year. But we had started to see signs that global services uh, industry and sector uh, was slowing as well. So encouragingly, uh, both the manufacturing and services PMIs uh, in terms of global activity uh, were uh, improved in January. So as I said, it tells you that start of the year, we've seen uh, some positive news uh, for the global economy. And it does suggest that we started the year on, on a somewhat firmer footing. But early days still yet on that.
1: Okay, so so what you're saying, John, is some positive news and some evidence of green shoots. Um, however, markets are remaining cautious, especially since the outbreak of the coronavirus. Uh, what impact is the daily virus having on the global economy? Well,
2: there's little evidence yet, but what we do expect is, if you think of what happened in China, basically basic Chinese economy uh, has, has had to uh, shut down in terms of, Uh, factory production there so that will impact global supply chains Uh, and what we do expect so we referenced their january survey data been uh, encouraging we do expect that in february the survey data indicators uh, may see some reversal uh, just because of the fact that uh, for the last couple of weeks for all intents and purposes uh, activity has come to a standstill in china because of that shutdown in factories and, and travel bans and all that so that is impacting now i think the way the global economy is organized now around global supply chains that will impact uh, other developed economies but we think it's short-lived it would be confined to uh, quarter one uh, and we'll see a pickup again in quarter two as long as the the virus uh, looks to be uh, contained but we would expect in the near term that February survey data may be a bit weaker just because of the fact that activity levels will have been suppressed in January but we don't think it'll be anything more than a Q1 phenomenon given that uh, if on the basis that the virus uh, is contained and doesn't spread any further.
1: John, then, um, what's your sense of market sentiment?
2: Well, as you said there at the outset, and the tight we put on the weekly, the jury's still out basically because okay, we've had some good data, uh, and we expect the February data might be a little bit weaker. Market generally still remains cautious. Okay, excluding uh, what's happened in equity markets, we still we had a very strong uh, twenty nineteen, and you know markets are still up uh, year to date in terms of from an equity perspective. But if you look at kind of other areas of futures contracts there still is an underlying level of caution there and that's highlighted by the fact that in the us if you look at the futures contracts of market expectations for the fed funds rate they're still expecting at least uh one rate cut, if not two priced in over the next 18 months in fact there's probably a rate cut priced in uh, by the end of this year uh, in the U.S. economy. Uh, so that's somewhat surprising given that U.S. data uh, has been fairly strong. But nonetheless, the market still thinks that the Fed will have to uh, cut once more to sustain growth at uh, the current growth level in the economy. Likewise, if you look at it from a Bank of England perspective, the market's expecting a rate cut from the Bank of England uh, by the end of this year. So what that tells you is, is that the market still thinks maybe some slowdown this year, but the fact that it's still fairly limited its expectations around rate cuts Uh, envisages that the market remains cautious but the market's not pricing in a major downturn if it was pricing in a major downturn what that would mean that there'd be a raft of rate cuts priced into futures contracts in markets and that's not the case it's only one to two rate cuts priced in so the market thinks the global economy and some of the key developed economies may continue to slow this year uh, but it'll still register growth but just slower growth Uh, so there still is a level of caution out there and that's why we're saying it's still early days uh, in terms of the data but january has been uh, more positive rather than more negative from that
1: perspective john if i can move the conversation just to the currencies you mentioned about the us uh, in terms of potential rate cuts coming down the road we know that fed chair powell is talking on tuesday and wednesday this week um payrolls figure last week was strong firstly um and you might just reflect on the us economic performance and what that means for the currency pair yeah so in terms of us data last week we had the payrolls on friday surprising strongly to the upside
2: of expectations Prior to that, earlier in the week, we had some key surveys, the uh, non-manufacturing and manufacturing-ism surveys, which are closely watched indicators for the U.S. economy. We also had the ADP employment report. So a raft of data last week in the U.S. uh, surprised to the upside of expectations. And that helped the dollar. So on the week, the dollar was up around 1% to 2% against uh, a raft of other currencies. So in level terms, what that meant for euro dollar, we saw euro dollar break below that 110 level. And that has been an important support level for euro dollar. So it broke below that last week in the back of uh, dollar strength. And if you look at Cable, Cable opened uh, on Monday morning below the 129 level and that's reflective too of the fact that you had a stronger dollar last week. But also Sterling got a bit of a on the defensive last week because uh, last Monday you saw clear example of the diverging positions that exist between the EU and the UK from a trade talks perspective. Uh, and that just highlights how difficult these trade talks are going to be. So we saw Sterling uh, come back a little bit. So that's why if uh, listeners were looking at the- the currency levels on Monday morning, they would have seen that uh, euro sterling was back up around the eighty five p mark, whereas the previous week was probably closer to eighty four p. So not huge moves, uh, but still reflective of the fact that last week the theme on markets from a currency viewpoint was dollar continuing to hold the upper hand, uh, while sterling was a little bit weaker.
1: Thanks, John. Uh, Pat, morning, morning. Uh, I might just bring you in at this stage, if that's okay. So, Pat, I, I kind of I know it was probably last June the last time we done uh, a podcast. Uh, focusing on the Irish housing market. Um, and just coming off the back, of, I suppose, of a general election here in this country, uh, our discussion today is timely. Uh, firstly, you might tell our listeners, what were the key findings of the report? Sure. We, As you mentioned, we published a
0: report last June, and we generally publish a report focusing on the Irish housing market every January as well. This one, we're looking at the supply, demand, imbalance within the Irish housing market and how much has supply caught up with demand. And our view is that supply still lags behind demand quite sharply and, and, and that's happening despite the fact that house price inflation and rental price inflation have both eased which would at a high level would think suggest that housing supply has caught up with demand but the reasons why house price inflation has moderated is more to do with affordability than actually uh, a marked increase in supply. House prices have got to levels where it's now increasingly difficult for the average household to afford housing and similarly in the rental market rents are at a level where typical households find it very difficult to afford the rents that they're paying. So that in itself is causing the slowdown combined with the um, uh, mortgage market potential rules and uh, rent pressure zones that are in place many locations across the country they're the fact that's causing the slowdown in prices and rental price inflation if we look at supply and demand uh, supply has broadly matched the growth in the level of housing demand outside of the key urban markets if you look outside of Dublin for example uh, the population has increased by about six and a half percent while housing supplies has increased by five percent so that's broadly in line it's still a deficit but broadly in line but if you look at Dublin in particular the population has increased by close to 10% and housing supply has only increased by 5% so that's a big gap between uh, underlying uh, demographic demand and actual housing supply and in our view there is a big Shortages of supply, particularly in in the key open markets, and that needs to be addressed um, uh, going forward. And that'll be one, of, obviously, the key challenges facing any new government coming into power um, over the next couple of weeks. There, the key challenges: how do you get that level of supply up to meet the level of uh, demand that's uh, evident in the market currently?
1: It's a uh, very tricky, and certainly not going to attempt to try and give you an answer in regards to that. Um, one other thing you mentioned there, especially with the election over the weekend. Uh, the electorate has shown that the, the homeless and housing crisis in this country is, is probably that the main concern. Um, what could a newly formed government do to assist this crisis? Sure.
0: Like there's lots of policy options available to any government coming into power to try and address this. One area that we do think that would be quite effective would be some type of shared ownership scheme or shared equity scheme where the government, through the local authorities or approved housing bodies, takes a stake in the house or a new new property. So a uh, household comes along and say they can, abort, they can afford to borrow X amount and that equates to maybe 70, 70% of the price of a new home. The government then steps in and funds the other 30%. Very good. And over a period of time maybe 10, 15, 20 years uh, the household then repays that amount to the government. But incre- initially what it does is increase the affordability the capacity of a household to meet you know uh, the re- repayments to, to, to a banker etc. So that gets them on the housing housing ladder and it helps then increase the supply of housing at at that price point because what's happening at the moment is uh, a typical household on average incomes of, say, a two-income household on average incomes of 70, 80 grand, 1,000 euros a, a year can probably only afford a house price in the region of three hundred thousand, but the cost of building a new house is in the region maybe three hundred fifty thousand, 000 particularly in the Dublin market so you have that gap of 50 60 thousand between what they can afford to borrow and pay and what it costs to actually buy a new house and it's that gap that needs to be uh, filled and that's where we believe a shared ownership scheme could be very very effective and pat tell me
1: has there been schemes like this before
0: yeah it's not a brand new idea uh the there have been schemes there have been three or four schemes of this type of nature uh, in the Irish market over the last 30, 40 years Uh, particularly between 1991 and 2011 there was a particular shared ownership scheme in in the market very similar to what I'm talking about at the moment that was closed in 2011 because of the financial crisis that hit then uh, you know fiscal um, um, or fiscal availability was very very restricted so there wasn't as much money in the economy but today there is the government last year a year ago uh, introduced a more limited version of this scheme that was only uh, dedicated to uh, public housing uh, on public lands what we're saying is that it should be extended to take in private housing as well and it mirrors schemes that are evident in the uk australia and the us so it's it's not a new new idea but it is an effective way of increasing own ownership and particularly helping households that 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 are struggling to get to get on the housing ladder
2: pat just in terms of time frames and that it's probably fair to say uh, given what's involved in terms of building houses, and you know, there's a time and a lag between that comes operational and in effect new supply comes on the market, we're still probably looking f- uh, to at least maybe a few more years before supply and demand come into equilibrium. Given that, okay, maybe this year we get up towards 25,000 houses, yeah. but we maybe two to three more years before we meet demand in that year, and then there's all that pent up demand that's been building over the last couple of years. For sure,
0: we're still a Good bit away from actual equilibrium, as you say. Supply might get up to around twenty-five thousand uh, level in two thousand and twenty. It was around twenty-one thousand in two thousand and nineteen. Underlying demand is running at somewhere between thirty thirty-five thousand per annum. So you have that gap of four or five thousand that needs to be, or at least or probably close to ten thousand, needs to be uh, closed. And the point you make, there is pent-up demand there that has to be rectified as well. So I think we're probably three five years away from equilibrium.
1: It'll be interesting, Pat, next June when we sit down here again to see how things have progressed sure. since the formation of the new government. Uh, John and Pat, many thanks for the update and a big thanks to our customers, colleagues and listeners for joining us on this week's podcast. To stay up to date with all the latest podcasts, please subscribe to AAB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Banks PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.